We're so happy to see what God is doing and doing in us and through us and what he's going to be doing, aren't we? So happy about that. I believe God is about to do something incredible. And uh, the prophetic words that came this morning, I think there are actually confirmation of that. That what we are going to see, we're going to see supernatural things happen. We're going to see God's power move in us and through us and in this city. And it's going to be God. It'll be nothing but God. It'll be God moving and doing his thing in the way that he wants to do it. And that's a wonderful thing. And uh, that happens, though, when we go after him, right? That's what happens when we go after him and we put him as our priority. So last week, I, I preached about uh, how we need to restore the joy of our salvation. Everybody remember that? Because I really feel like our current mission right now is the body of Christ is one of restoring, rebuilding, and renewing. I think that's actually what our call is right now. And uh, that we can be the church that seeks to have an authentic experience and encounter with God. I really believe we can be that church that has an, ex- an authentic experience with God. And it, it's restorative in nature. And it's not just one that tickles our ears. It's not one that just makes us feel good. Uh, but it's actually restorative in nature. And it might not even be something that we expect either. Do you know that? Every time God moves, he does something different. It's not something that we expect. It is something different, an experience that changes the very nature of who we are, or, or even better, who we, we think we are, right? And it changes us in, instead into who we are meant to be. Sometimes that means we have to figuratively be brought right back down to the studs. And if you're doing a restoration in hell, sometimes you want to bring everything right back to the studs, right? So you can rebuild again. Uh, Holly and I watched this show this week called, uh, I think it's called Restoration Road, which it sounds so boring. When you see the commercial before, you think, this has got to be a, such a boring show. But actually, it's quite interesting. What it is, is it's this guy uh, that goes, it's in the U.S., he goes to these historically significant buildings or structures that are completely falling apart. They're, they're, they look like trash, but they have significance behind them. And he goes up to, the, he goes to these places and he goes there with an expert craftsman who is an expert at restoring this particular type of structure. And the episode that we watched, it was this, this barn that was built by the first settlers in their town. It was built in, I, I think, the 1700s or something like that. And they went through and they discussed, well, this is how they built it in this day. This is the, they, they milled their own pieces of wood. Uh, they, they made their own nails, and they found the nails that were there. And they, they, they had a local blacksmith that built the, these, these hangers and these, these different type of joints. And, uh, you know, and basically went through the entire process. But if you just walked right by, it would look like a piece of junk to you. Like, well, that's, that's fire. That's firewood. We can get rid of it. But they saw something in it. They saw something that was worth preserving. And so what they did is that they took this structure apart piece by piece. Like, they took down the the roof, each beam. They had these little wooden dowels that that held the roof together. They pulled those out, and then they they moved it. They brought it to a new location and rebuilt it back to its original glory. And man, did it ever look good. Once it was finished, once and they used, they didn't use any modern tools. They used all the tools that the, the people who created it used. They just rebuilt it right back, and it was it was stunning. And I was thinking to myself, wow, if that's what we see as people in these dilapidated structures, imagine what God sees in us, right? Imagine what He sees in us. 
A lot of people will look at other people and say, well, that's a, that person's a write-off. We don't need to consider them. But God sees someone that can be restored piece by piece, restoring right from the ground up into someone that is brand new. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. And that is the rebuilding that I desperately want. How about you? Because honestly, anything else than that is just what we say is just lipstick on a pig. Ever heard that expression before? Holly loves that expression. It's just lipstick on a, on a pig. And I love bacon, but I want more than just a cosmetic upgrade. How about you? I want to be rebuilt, right? Yeah, I want to be in a state where I'm built in a way that can withstand the blows and the, the constant attacks of the world, and I want that extra support in me. I want to be built to code. I want to be built to his code, right? I want to be built on a firm foundation, a foundation that's on a rock and not on the sand, right? Because everything else is just sinking sand. I want to be built on his rock, a firm foundation, you know, I said last week that I, I, I cannot walk away from God because I've discovered that the more that I seek Him, the more that I spend time with Him, uh, the more that I give Him of myself, is, it's actually exactly equivalent to the more that He shows up in every single aspect of my life. Have you noticed that? The more that you give into Him, the more that you sow into Him, the more He pours into you, the more He shows up in your life. And the more I give Him of myself, the more that he actually rebuilds me as well. And I find that the more I, I lean into him, it is the more that he actually renovates me as well too. And he's a fantastic project manager, by the way, isn't he? He's a really good project. He's the best contractor. He's the best builder. And you know, he looks at you and he says, you know, this part of you is looking a little bit tired. Now, this part of you looks like a little bit tired. Let's rip it out and replace it with something that I have made. Right, something that I have made, something that will work for you in this day that you live in. And he tells us, leave it in my hands, and I promise you, you will like it because I've designed your rebuild. I've designed it with you and your purpose in mind. Let me rebuild you. And he does that for us. He can do that for us every single day. If we let him. If we let him. Some people, some people don't want to be rebuilt, though, right? Rebuilding can be kind of a, a messy ordeal. It can kind of be disruptive, Right? Some people don't want to be rebuilt, but guess what? We are all fixer-uppers. We are all people that need to be rebuilt and re refixed. We all have things that need to be rebuilt. And even though rebuilding can be stressful, the journey is not always fun in that process, but the end result is always something better than it was before. Every single time it is always something better. Can we come with that expectation this morning? With the expectation of giving God the, the building permit to do what he needs to do in us, to renovate and rebuild ourselves into the dwelling, into the temples that we're supposed to be, we're going to give God the freedom. Let's give him the invitation to come to move and have his way in us this morning. Amen? Yeah. So usually when we talk about uh, rebuilding, uh, a lot of the times you immediately think about Nehemiah, which is absolutely the right story to think about when you're thinking about rebuilding. Uh, but there's also an angle to that story that doesn't get as much attention. And uh, it's actually in the book of Haggai, in the first chapter. And it's basically, he was a prophet then, right, at the same time. And he, he was involved in that entire process as well, too. And I thought the opening chapter of Haggai really spoke to me about where the church is today. Because it questions the focus of the people, where their minds are on. So 
for a little reminder or a reintroduction to Haggai, Haggai was Zechariah's peer, and both of them were prophesying in Jerusalem right after the Jewish exiles returned from Babylon to rebuild. And when they returned, the first task was to rebuild the temple. But the exiles faced quite a bit of opposition to rebuilding the temple. Have you noticed that whenever you're supposed to be doing something that God wants you to do, there's always an opposition to it? Always? Like, always. And I say there is always opposition. There's always an opposing force trying to get you to not do the very thing that God wants you to do. Every single time. Nehemiah faced opposition when rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and opposition came also to rebuilding the temple. What's interesting in Haggai, though, from this angle, though, is, is that the opposition described was not only an external opposition, but it was also an internal opposition as well from within themselves. We know about the outside opposition from reading Nehemiah, but Haggai brings to light that there were, was also a heart issue involved. Uh, not only did the temple need to be rebuilt, but so did their hearts. And it says this, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? And while this house remains a ruin, and he's talking about the temple there. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, Give careful thought. And other translations say, Consider your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are never warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Pretty, so they're working hard. They're working hard to do what they're doing, but it's up to it's like to no avail. It's just like it's in the wind. Everything that they're doing, it's not working. So the Jews had actually started rebuilding the temple, and they they started strong. They actually started strong. The foundation was done, but they actually never finished the job. They built the foundation, but after that, they started to to make excuses as to why they couldn't continue with the work. They thought that, you know, other things were more important than rebuilding the house of God. They had to rebuild their houses, replant their crops, pay for their food, take care of their own families. And, you know, these are all valid excuses. They are excuses, but they are excuses nonetheless, right? Man, a lot of us are really good at excuses, though, aren't we? We're really good. Humanity, let's just put it this way. Humanity is really good at making excuses, and children are absolutely exceptional at it, by the way. Children, they're, they are pros at making excuses. The first remark that God actually mentions through Haggai is that the people of Israel are giving the excuse that it isn't God's will at this time to, to continue building the temple. And that's why the temple is on hold. That's a funny excuse, isn't it? It isn't God's will right now. Man, do you know how many times I've heard growing up in the church, you know, like, and sometimes it comes down, I've heard that excuse so many times, it isn't God's will. And sometimes it comes in the format as, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray about it and see if it's God's will. That's another one as well, too. That's another way of framing that same excuse. I've heard that so many times, right? What a classic Christian excuse when you don't want to do something. Hmm, I'm not sure, you know, I'm going to want to do this, so I'm going to pray about it and then just blame my inaction on God's will. That's basically what we're saying, right? Works every time. Uh, but let's be more specific about that. It works every time that you don't want some kind of change to happen, right? Or in the case of the Israelites, they didn't want to experience any kind of further blessing. You want to know something interesting about this passage? I mean, God was clearly upset about them. He said this to them, but, and he says in Haggai verse 9 through 10, you expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore... Because of you, the heavens are, will withheld their dew, 
and the earth its crops. Right? So God brought, he brought down drought and created some opposition to them living there, to them actually really prospering in Jerusalem. But, but what he did not do, this is what's interesting about this, what he didn't do is send them back into oppression. He didn't put them back into slavery. He didn't put a, someone over them again. He, they were free. They were still free. He let them still have their freedom. He, they weren't sent back into captivity. And he did that because his mercies are so great. That's what it comes down to. So they still had the blessing of their freedom, but not the blessing of his presence in every aspect of their lives. Something had to be rebuilt first. So here's the thing about God's will. We as Christians sometimes define it as something that's usually really impossible to understand. Yes, God's, you know, God's ways are mysterious. We'll, give him the, we'll say that for sure. But his will is usually actually not that difficult to discern. If you're having trouble discerning God's will, the first step is to check out God's word. And we had that prophecy this morning. His word is truth. Right? His word is truth. So his will is not that usually difficult to discern. If you have trouble discerning God's will, the first step is to check out God's word because God's will is God's word, and God's word is his will. And if the Bible says to do or not do something, we literally have no excuse uh, to disobey the Lord because that's his will, right? The Jews should have had no doubt that rebuilding the temple was exactly what he had sent them there to do, and their delayed obedience was actually a form of disobedience. Haggai prophesied this to them and encouraged them to, to rethink their action by repeating what God had told them to do. And what did he say? He said this, consider your ways. A lot of people right now are, are coming up with, with ways that the church should be functioning to rebuild itself. And it, it usually comes back to strategies that look a lot like what you see in secular business, right? Marketing, leadership tweaks, you know, and these are all, they're not bad things, uh, but also not godly things, okay? I think that God is actually calling the church, you, me, all of us, to actually consider our ways. I think that reads true to us as well, too. So what does consider our ways look like? What does it mean? It means that we have to look at ourselves first. And the first step of rebuilding is, is actually having a self-awareness. Look what does self-awareness look like in the church? It actually has a, has a very basic question. What is my priority? That's what the self-awareness looks like for us. You know, the world, if you think about it, the world looks at great entrepreneurs, looks at people like, you know, uh, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and the formerly alive <laughs> Steve Jobs. And obviously, they built these great mega corporations that have absolutely changed the world in, in many ways. And there's a lot of success there, no doubt. But I... I can't look to them as examples of how to, to lead a church or even my own personal life, right? I, I can't do that. A lot of these people, their personal lives are really messed up. They're good at the business side of it, but in terms of their own lives, not so hot, right? Not, not really good. I mean, if they led a church, let me to be honest with you, though, if they led a church, it'd probably look good, it'd probably sound good. There'd probably be a lot of people there, but without God, it's just Ichabod, right? The Lord has departed, Right? And that's not what I want. And why is that? Why would it be that way? Because God would not be the priority in that organization. As a leader, I think my greatest goal, my greatest vision and mission is to build a temple where God is revealed, where Jesus is worshipped, and Holy Spirit is always welcomed. 
I think that's it. Honestly, I think that's it. A temple where God is revered, Jesus is worshipped, and the Holy Spirit is welcomed. I think that's how you build up the temple, building up the temple. Building up the temple for who? Building up the temple for the Lord, not for anybody else. Building up the temple for the Lord. Boys, won't you help us? Girls, won't you help us? Building up the temple for the Lord. Kim liked that one. I know. <laughs> that was my favorite Sunday school song. Building up the temple for not for me, not for you, but for the Lord. Consider your ways. What are we doing this for? What is my priority? Also, what are my excuses? A lot of the excuses that the people of Jerusalem express remind me of what we hear today. There's always something more pressing than what God wants you to do. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? Think about this morning. I almost guarantee that there was something that was pressing you to stay home instead of coming here. Right? There's always a tug. There's always a pull away from what God wants you to do. Almost always. Almost always. When we're more concerned about our own houses, our own circumstances, our own plans than we are for God's plans, well, that's when we've actually lost our way. Lost our way. God confronts his people directly in verse 4, reminding them that they had taken plenty of time to take care of themselves, but had allowed the temple to remain in ruins. And then Haggai's prophetic warning in verse 5 is equally direct. He's telling them, take a good, long look, a consideration to the current direction you guys are in. And I think this is really challenging because you can't expect the blessings of God when everything you do is just self-focused, can you? you? You can't expect that. If everything is always about you, then where has, how does God fit into that plan, right? I'll tell you something that, that bothers me a little bit. I serve a God who is merciful, and I know that there are, there are believers, there are people who are believers or who are at one time believers, uh, who have come from a family who have a legacy of faith, and they are blessed people, and God has clearly deposited a blessing on them, even though they're not fully engaged in the things of God. Like the people of Jerusalem, they live in freedom, but they have become so focused on themselves and their lives that they have forgotten the source of their blessings. Does anyone know anybody like that? I certainly do. They could, the thing is this, though. They could have so much more. Yes, they have their freedom. Yes, they have you know, God's hand on their lives, but they could have so much more if they had their priorities straight. There's so much more to have. And the saddest thing about all of this is that when you, when you hold back on giving God your best, you know, whether that be your time, your talent, or your treasure, you forfeit his further blessings because you're holding on to it too tightly. Does anyone believe that? Yeah. For the Jews, this meant that they were, they were working hard, but they were not prospering. God wasn't blessing their effort. There, there was freedom, but there was not abundance. So I don't know about you, but if I want the abundance, I can't afford not to give my time, my treasure, and my talent to him. I can't afford not to do that. I can't. Because when it comes down to it, he is the one that is worthy of it all. Not me, not my life. He is worthy of it all. And I want to say to him, Lord, rebuild this temple. Rebuild this temple. Here I am, wholly available to you. Rebuild me, Lord. That's my cry for this morning. Is it yours? Yeah, he is worthy of it all. Then our, our priority is what matters. If Jesus is our priority, then the state of the temple should be our priority. Amen? Hey, quick question for you with all this temple talk. Do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that? Yeah. 
We talked uh, last week about how to restore the joy of your salvation. The temple actually starts with you. The temple starts with you. Then we, we have to, when we have that all sorted out, though, then we need to also consider the physical rebuilding of the temple. And we've got a nice temple here. It's got some, some 90s look to it a little bit. It needs some refreshing for sure. Maybe some new carpet, maybe some new chairs. We'll get there. We'll do that. We're on it. We're, we're changing things slowly as, as the money is here. But you know what? Let's consider what this church is, what it actually is beyond just the, the looking at it, right? What is the church? It's actually a collection of believers who see value, who see value in coming together to worship God in his temple. You know, too many believers today are not concerned with the corporate body, the temple where we, the body of Christ, functions. We are a body moving in the same direction. Our act of worshiping the Lord together for so many people has become something that is only considered actually when it's convenient to them, right? Only when it's convenient because apparently so many are, are too busy to give God even an hour of time of their week for some reason. I haven't quite figured that out yet, but so many people don't even see that any value in that just coming for one hour in the week, giving themselves one hour to, do, to give God his, what, he's, what he's due. If we don't get this first things first thing right, if we, we don't get our priorities straight, we're also going to fall into some kind of drought as well, right? Guaranteed. God said a famine to Israel when their priorities were off. And it, it really makes me worry and consider my ways because I don't want to be in any kind of spiritual famine either, right? Where God is holding back anything from us. I don't want God to hold anything back from us. I want his abundance. But God, right? But God. I don't have to worry too much though because he has made his intentions known. He, his will is known to us in his word. His promises are true in his amazing mercy, he has made an amazing promise to us as well, too, in his word. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things, say all, all of these things shall be added to you. Why go after that with all of your attention, with all of your effort, with all of your might, when it says right here, this is the word of God, Matthew 6, 33, that if I seek him first, Everything else just comes to me anyways. Isn't that an amazing promise? Why not make him the priority? He should be the priority. He has to be the priority so that you can have a good life. Amen? I've, tried, I've tested this and it works for me. It will work for you too. It's his promise. Haggai prophesied during a time of rebuilding in Judah. The problem was the, the people had gotten their priorities mixed up. They were focusing on rebuilding homes for themselves and not the house of God. The first order of business should have been to get the temple rebuilt, obviously, but the people focused on themselves. God actually demands to be the priority of your life. That's what he demands, and he will not settle for anything less. He won't. He has to be first. Amen? So the takeaway is this. As Haggai spoke, something happened. The Spirit of God stirred the people. And at the end of chapter 1, the Jews with convicted hearts sprung into action and knew exactly what they had to do. They had to refocus and put their attention back on the temple. The truth, and they knew the truth and they were not, that they were not putting God first. And they had to reorient themselves. What's interesting is that just 23 days after Haggai's feet walked the streets, the people began actually rebuilding the temple. 
And you know what? It's very unusual to see in the Bible uh, when a, a prophet would speak something that it would actually result in such quick action. That doesn't happen too often in Scripture, that it was that quick. Why? It's because it wasn't just conviction. It was conviction that aligned with the will of God that had brought them into this freedom. They knew that they, they had to demolish their selfish ambitions and, and rebuild the temples so that God could be with them in every aspect of their lives. So what does that mean for us? It means that maybe it's time to step back and take a look at what reward that we're, we're chasing after, what we're pursuing right now. What are the things that we're invested in? How fulfilling are they actually to us? What do we chase after? Are we apathetic or energized about the things of God? How important is it to build up the temple of the Lord, to bring people into his temple? That's an important one too. If Part of building this temple as well is bringing people into it. Amen? Yeah, we should be concerned about bringing the people that we know into this temple so that they can have an authentic experience with God. That is what building up the temple is as well, is bringing people into it. Amen? Yeah. Bring people into the temple. Is our spiritual lives, are we, are we driven in our spiritual lives or are we lazy? I want to be the one that seeks him first. Amen? Amen. Let me just give God, I'm going to ask Holly to come up and, and play uh, for a minute. I just want, I want to give God a little bit of room this morning. Are you okay? We still, have, we still have a little bit of time here, right? Can we give him a little, yeah, we can give him all the time, can we? We can. I just want to give him five minutes just to search our hearts. Are you ready to do that? We all have priorities, by the way. We all have, some of us, we, I'd say probably all of us have mixed up priorities in one way, shape, or form in our lives. And I just want God to, to speak to us this morning. Can we do that? Just as we, we worship this morning, just close your eyes. Just give him a couple of minutes. And God may speak to you as something that he wants you to put on the altar. And he wants you to just put him first in that one area of your life. And I guarantee you, because of the promise that's in his word, that if you speak that promise over that situation in your life or over that issue that's become greater than him, he will take care of it. He will transform it. Do you believe that this morning? I do. I do. So let's do that. Let's just close our eyes right now. Lord, speak to us, Lord. If there is something in our lives, Lord, that is taking priority over you, just reveal it to us right now in our hearts doesn't have to, you, you, you're a God of mercy. It doesn't have to be a big show or anything, Lord. You could just speak directly to us right now. And we're giving you, we are giving you right now the time to speak to us.